0: Hi, my name is Kevin McQuillan, and the following pre recorded conversations are my attempt to make sense of the human experience through the practice of yoga. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. And move into a practice before we do. I'm going to share a particular practice I have been utilizing for years, and I do it on my birthday, and today's my birthday. Ha-ha, hey, amazing. <laughs> and so I thought I'd put it into words in some fashion and share it with you, include you into my, my birthday process. And uh, maybe you'll get something out of it. And so I do this uh, at least once a year, uh, sometimes more often than that, based on what I'm focusing on. And so the distinctions here, reconcile your past, which is important and uh that's a practice in of itself and it's a difficult practice moving into the past it is uh, the place in which we're a place where we can suffer the past and in various different ways want to forget about our past i'm sure you can relate to that there's certain things in your past you rather not confront be with And what I've noticed over the years, as I've done that, attempted to do that, it's actually left me weaker and um, cowardice in some ways, not willing to confront my past, pushing a piece of me away. And so I'm less whole. And so the attempt to reconcile your past is the attempt to become much more of an individual, much more whole which is a practice that offers a tremendous amount of utility to the future you, the present you, but also the future you and the importance of doing such a thing. Otherwise we're splintered, which is a challenge. And so the other distinction here is negotiate with your future. And that's what's interesting. As we reconcile our past, we're also negotiating with our future. And the idea is to do that at the same time. We're reconciling our past as well as negotiating with our future. All in a present state. Wow. Three realms of time we're dancing in. All of the time. Past, present, future. And so I'm going to share this with you. Some distinctions up on the board. Reconcile your past. Choose an uncertain state. You could call it a hindrance. In your life, that tends to torment you. It's like choose one of the dozen things that torment you on a daily basis, but choose one. That's the idea. And there's some examples up, up there like humiliation, scarcity, feeling undeserving, worry, disappointment, so on and so forth. Those are some of the things I've been working on over the last several years. Humiliation, scarcity, feeling undeserving, worry, all the various different things I've been uh, choosing over the years and attempting to make sense of. And so the idea in this conversation, you think of something that torments you, bothers you in various different ways, that visits you more often than anything else. And that's a hindrance. It's a place where you've experienced emotional significance that causes some kind of hardship. When it visits you, it's bumpy. (laughs) It's a bumpy ride. A negative emotion that is crying to you, so much so you've now shunned it. It's such a nuisance, you've shunned it. Get out of here, you crying nuisance. I'd rather not be with you. Your refusal to pay attention. Your avoidance will keep you depraved, because it is. And will ultimately age you. That's unpleasant. That's happening anyways. And so these kinds of experiences have a way of enhancing increasing the way in which we age we can get older as a consequence of pushing our past away and that can happen fairly quickly quite quickly really and so when you think about these distinctions this topic anything pop up for you some hindrance that visits you every once in a while that's been around, that comes a calling, says, hey, remember me? Anybody have an example you wanna lay out? Say out loud, your relationship to something that causes you some tension, clumsy experience. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's relationship to shame. Anybody got something? Not belonging. belonging. Great. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Shame. Thank you for that. Disappointment. Disappointment. Very good. Thank you for that. Okay, some examples. Good to have some examples out there. Thanks for jumping in. And so you identify hindrance. That's good to identify. Not so pleasant to be with. But if you think about your hindrance and specifically think about how it's visited you in the past. Where it's shown itself. Revealed itself. And how it's played out in certain circumstances. And then ultimately what the cost has been. And what you'll notice if you pay attention is the cost has been significant because it's been making decisions for you and decisions that don't ultimately support you, that splinter you, that ultimately pull you away from people and out of a relationship, the very place you wish to be. That's how we become depraved. We deprive ourselves of the things in which we say we want and are attempting to pursue based on this particular experience, this hindrance. And it'll do that every single time. It does does not want anything good for you. You'd be hard pressed to find an example in your past where that particular hindrance offered you anything good. Maybe you extracted a lesson out of it every once in a while, and that's useful if you paid attention. It's like, okay, maybe I won't choose that again. And so once you have a hindrance, you have something to aim at, which is important. Once you identify a hindrance, then the idea is to come up with the antidote. How can I solve this problem that I have that's unique to me? And that's where we get to negotiate with our future. The premise is to engage and pursue something you've deemed worthwhile, which is the antidote to this particular experience. So you have the hindrance. What's the opposite of that? That's good to recognize. And then you pursue it because it's worthwhile. A redeemable redeemable effort is pursuing the very antidote to your hindrance. And through the exploration process, you'll need to think on your feet and adapt to challenges as they present themselves because they will. That's what's so brilliant about the practice of yoga. That's it. you got to think on your feet. Confront challenges as they present themselves, like every bloody pose. (laughs) is a challenge that you have to confront and think on your feet and work yourself through it. That's why this brilliant practice is so useful. The very reason why you're here, I imagine, because you get plenty from it. The intention is to continuously fill yourself with goal-directed enthusiasm, that you're pursuing something with great enthusiasm, which offers you forward momentum. That this is the most important thing that you're pursuing because you're attempting to solve a problem that is causing issues in your life. And this practice is an, is an uncertainty reduction mechanism. Because the hindrance creates uncertainty in your life. You're attempting to solve that. Reduce your uncertainty as you plot your path to mastery. Becoming masterful at this antidote, which is going to take you some time, months, years maybe, perhaps a lifetime. (laughs) But you get so good at it, that it shifts into the unconscious, and then you are just being that. What often gets missed, certainly in the practice of yoga and in life, is the importance of having Practices out in front of us. You know, you can think about riding a bike. You ever ride a bike? Remember what it was like trying to learn to ride a bike? It's like crazy, right? <laughs> ah, 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 shaky, probably somebody helping you, these kinds of things. And then at some point, you're just riding a bike. It's like no big deal. You're not thinking about it. It's like this physical experience, driving a car, as an example, brushing your teeth, all these different things. If we can do those. If we can take those practices and master them, we shift them into the unconscious and it's just being done for us. If we can do the same thing with these human experiences that we all share, unique to you of course, that you put it out in front of you, you wrap practices around it, and then at some point, you've become that. There's less of a hindrance and your antidote is leading the way. Once you've adapted yourself around this particular antidote, then you shift it. You shift your attention to something else. You create mastery around that until you've mastered it. And then it shifts into the unconscious. You choose something else. And it does take some time. There's no question about that. What I've noticed, it takes a good year. At least. (laughs) That's why I've made this a birthday practice for myself. Then I get to reflect on it. It's like, huh, how have I done over the last year? What kind of progress have I made? Where has it shown itself? Where where does it live now in my life? And what I've noticed is it's different because I've been focused on it and pursuing it, talking about it, these various different things. And so on the bottom of this board hindrance, antidote, what I'm choosing this year, my hindrance, feeling unsafe. That's something I've been combating combating most of my life is feeling unsafe. And the ways in which I have challenged myself to feel safe and where I have sound, responsible practices and where I don't. And the antidote I see for myself is faith to find very curious, my relationship to faith. It's a value I have, but something I've not been paying attention to for many years. I've I've found it confusing. (laughs) And so I wanna make sense of that, my relationship to faith and what that means to me. And it seems to me as I do, I'll have the capacity to feel safe. And that's like a reward I'm after. That sounds nice. How I can feel safe in my body with other people in this world. Because well, what I'm attempting to do is make some changes in my life. And what I'm noticing is when I've explored this over the last oh, couple of weeks, leading up to uh, my birthday, <laughs> I have a value of loyalty. It's very meaningful to me. You know, like Honor. And how I attempt to honor my promises and how important loyalty is to me. Giving it and having it. But what I'm also noticing is my relationship to feeling unsafe keeps me trapped and in places for too long. Because I'm unwilling to make changes. I don't know what's happening in the unknown, so I'll choose the known. That's unsafe. This is safe because I know it. I'm loyal to this. No thank you. And so if I'm after making changes, I have to confront not only my relationship to loyalty, but my relationship to feeling unsafe. And it seems to me that faith will move me out of being locked in to that experience and get me into the unknown and give me the capacity to trust that moving forward is a good idea in new ways. So we're not combating one thing. We're not taking on one thing. You're taking on your entire life your entire value hierarchy, how you've designed yourself over your lifetime. And it's significant to make the effort to change, but it's worthwhile for sure. And so I thought I'd offer this to you. Take it if you will, or not. (laughs) But I find it always worthwhile to write it down, make sense of it, and define what your not only your hindrance means to you, but also your antidote. And to play yourself out into the future. It's the beauty of imagination. One year from now, if you were to embody your antidote, how would your life be different? It's quite striking. And so the focus of this practice, chest. Where we can shield ourselves from love and hold this state and experience of feeling hopeless. And that's what hindrances create for us, a hopelessness. And so the idea is to move those experiences out, practice into your antidote, do what you need to. And that's the practice of yoga, as I see it. You can stay physical and that's fine, it's a physical practice. It's like one dimensional. You can even stay shallow. Drop it down into your ground of being. That's the idea. You have to choose what that is. And maybe 60 minutes from now, you've become closer to your antidote, or maybe you even have become it. Wouldn't that be something? All right. Thanks for listening. You get some value from this? Good morning. It's class time. What a time. I'm gonna speak about vulnerability before we move into the class for a particular reason. The focus of this class is on your inner seams of your legs. The inner seams and up on the board are some distinctions. So left inner seam, where we hold our relationship to vulnerability. Ooh, sensitive and delicate inner seams of the legs. Right side, fear of intimacy. So just think about that for a moment. Your relationship to vulnerability and the fear you have around intimacy. Both are true. You have a relationship to vulnerability and you're concerned about intimacy. Both of those are true. And my attempt in this conversation is to outline how we can relate to vulnerability and the challenges that poses in our life. And ultimately where it takes us. Does that seem reasonable? Okay, some head nods out there. That's good. What's happening here? Fellas on this side? Ladies on this side? Was that <laughs> choreographed? It's <That's> pretty amazing. <laughs> Strength in numbers, I guess. Something like that. An element to my teaching is identifying where we limit ourselves and we're consistently limiting ourselves consistently. If you think about your experience as a human being and how you relate in the decisions you make, there's two sides of every decision. So you think about vulnerability as an example. There's a part of you that relates to vulnerability in a limiting way. It takes you out of relationship, that side of you that has no desire to be in relationship, like at all. And you know that side very well, where you are outside of relationship on your own, doing God only knows what you do on your own when you pull yourself out of relationship. And then there's the other side of vulnerability and how you relate to it that moves you into relationship. Where there's no fear of intimacy, you're actually tracking it and looking to pursue intimacy. And at times you get it. And it's a beautiful thing, those moments of connection with other people and how that plays out in your life. And so that's what I attempt to do in my teaching is to build out both sides of the argument. And so ideally you can see yourself in this conversation. And so that's the attempt. So I'm gonna walk you through vulnerability and the limiting side of vulnerability vulnerability is the willingness to be known. I like that. It's very simple. I want you to know me. And so I'm going to take a risk with you and share myself with you and expose myself in various different ways over a span of time. And if you like that version of me, well, great. If you don't, so be it. And so it's the willingness to be known. And so that's the working example. An element to being known is allowing your vulnerabilities and fragility to be exposed to others to others. You could say the social group just like this, which is a threat, by the way. (laughs) Being with others is a threat. Once exposed, there exists the real potential for social humiliation, which we do not like. That's why a social setting, a social group is such a high risk, because the chance of being humiliated elevates. And you know what that feels like. You felt humiliated in your life many times over. That'll be true in the future as well. One of the reasons why we'd like to stay alone. We limit the chances of being humiliated, like rejected as an example. In light of this potential threat, the tendency is to protect, even harden up. No, you stay over there. It's way better that you're there. And I'm over here. There's a gap some protection. I can run and things go south. <laughs> Something like that. And so we can have this posture of protection when it comes to vulnerability. At which point you turn vul- vulnerability into a weakness. Vulnerability immediately comes, becomes a weakness by growing your guardedness ah, into a strength. Vulnerability is like a softness. There's flexibility around it, fluidity. There's movement. As soon as we abandon that and guard ourselves, that becomes the strength and we strengthen our posture of protection. You'll see that in your yoga practice. You'll feel it right in your body, where there's rigidity in your body, tightness, these kinds of things. That's the guardedness. That's the consideration. As a consequence, you become socially clumsy, perpetuate your inadequacies, meaning you get weird really quickly. And put your relationships at risk. You ever done that? You ever gone strange, kind of weird in relationships? <laughs> However, that is. Start sputtering, go red, know, fidgeting, trying to get the hell out of a situation as quickly as possible, button up, shh, stop speaking. All the ways in which you get weird, and there's many, and people notice. That's how we embarrass ourselves. The next phase of embarrassment is humiliation. We're incredible at creating that environment for ourselves when we start protecting and guarding ourselves around other people specifically. Can you relate to this? Find yourself in this equation? Oh, that's good. (laughs) When I think about my relationship to vulnerability, it's. I've struggled with this in so many different ways. I don't even like talking. There's a part of me that doesn't even like talking about it. Because there's that side of me that considers vulnerability as a weakness. And disgusting. That no. Don't be that way. Do not show yourself. Do not reveal yourself. Don't allow people in. You pathetic being. You're not allowed to be that way. And I find that presents itself often. I have to confront that side of me often, specifically with people. It's different when I'm by myself. It's like, oh yeah, just me (laughs) doing my thing. But around other people, it shows itself, reveals itself. And it wants to create trouble. And when I'm able to constrain it, that's good. Because I set myself up for the kinds of relationships I want. When I'm not able to constrain it, I become strange. Typically go quiet. Turn away. Don't necessarily want to be around people. And I'm always around people. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So it's a hell of a practice. And it's a good practice for me. Because if I wasn't practicing being with people, I know where I'd be just on my own. Because I can be on my own but it also starves me of the very things that I want that I can only get through other people, which is relationship, conversation, connection, intimacy, all these kinds of things that terror terrifies me in various different ways because it has in the past. And we all know what that feels like. We just have to dip a toe into the pool of the past and start to understand the pain of, of, of vulnerability the pain that vulnerability has caused in your past and the potential for that occurring at any moment is also very real. And that's true for each of us. And it strikes me that we miss this often, that how terrified we are of each other, like literally terrified of each other and rarely speak about it, which is so bloody strange to me. Because the chances of being not listened to or not paid attention to or, 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 or is really quite likely. Like all of the bloody time. And in some ways how we're looking for it. To prove that we have no value. That we are inadequate. That we don't deserve good things, especially being in a relationship. We're hunting for that evidence all the time. And if it doesn't present itself, we'll make it up which poses a great challenge in relationship and how strange we are. And in some ways, what we say we want, we can't necessarily be with. That's the reality of it. You say you want wonderful things in your life. You have to really look at yourself. And do you have the capacity to hold what you say you want? And what you'll notice very quickly is no, you don't. Not yet. And that's what's so brilliant about this practice of yoga. Attempting to build the inside posture to hold what you say you want, whatever the hell that is in your life. You know. And that's why this practice is so meaningful. It's like, okay, how do I get this concept down into this body so it can prop it up and hold it for as long as possible? If that's 15 seconds, it's better than no seconds. If I can expand that out to 30 seconds, wow, that's amazing. And then maybe I can hold this posture in a conversation, hold this posture in some interaction day to day in my work. And you're expanding, expanding, expanding through conscious practices such as yoga. And it seems to me plenty of people miss that opportunity to influence the inside posture, the one you say you want, which is not just up here in your head. (laughs) It has to be embodied. And all the layers you have to fight through for that to occur, because there is a side of you that has no desire for you to be vulnerable. And part of that is admitting that. It's like, yeah, whoa, that is the inside monster that rather devour me, than give me the opportunity to be with other people and the things I say I want. And so it's a practice. Vulnerability is absolutely a practice, like everything so you have to confront your habitual view of vulnerability, which is, you don't get to know me. I don't want to know myself, and so you don't get to know me. No thanks. I'll stay over here, guarded and protected, because it's safer over here. best to know that such a statement is a cause of suffering. Eh, Great suffering. You've suffered in the past. You're suffering now, for sure and you will suffer in the future. And just to let that sink in, your relationship to vulnerability causes great suffering and you know that intimately. Accordingly, a shift in perspective as it relates to vulnerability is the antidote to your suffering. Isn't that amazing? Not only are you creating your own suffering, You could solve it. Ah! That's like a Rubik's Cube. Fundamentally, you cannot be everything at once. So therefore, you must choose what you want to be. And that has to be very deliberate, choosing who you wish to be. And this is a shift in perspective. Who am I being as I do? versus I'm just doing. That's the typical posture. I'm just going to do. No intention. Just going along through life. And so the idea here is who are you being as you do? And that's different. And what you'll start to notice as you focus in on who you're being as you do, some of the things you do don't fit with what you're attempting to be. And that's fascinating It gives you an opportunity to stop doing things that lead you to places you don't want to be. And this is how you start to influence your character, your value structure, is paying attention to who you're being. The question then becomes, will you choose the version of yourself that accepts your vulnerabilities? That is a hell of a question. And you always have that question in front of you. The problem is you have to answer it. Sometimes you'll choose it and sometimes you won't. Ide- ideally, you're very aware of the choices you're making when it comes to vulnerability. And so the answer to this question is maybe. Maybe you'll choose it, maybe you won't. You only choose it if you convince yourself that you have intrinsic value and deserve love. That you as an individual have value and that you deserve to be loved. That is no simple equation. Because there's that part of of you that says no. You have no value and you deserve no love. So stop trying. This is a significant relationship in our human experience. The ability to get defined in your relationship to vulnerability And make it yours. Like what is the definition, the working definition that you have? The one that deconstructs you and the one that builds you up. And that's the attempt in this conversation is to propose that to you. That you define your own relationship to vulnerability. Because if you don't, you'll suffer. And you know that. And so wouldn't it be something for you to define your relationship to vulnerability so you know when you have it. You know when it's present. And perhaps most importantly, you know when it's not present. So I have a question for you. The monkeys agree. (laughs) Where do you currently lack vulnerability? Where is there an absence of vulnerability in your life? Where with whom? What you'll notice is it's where you're suffering. That's the giveaway. (laughs) Where we suffer, there's a lack of vulnerability. Anybody have an answer to that question? Where with whom are you currently challenged where there's a lack of vulnerability? Thank you. Work. work? thank you for that. That damn work, <laughs> yeah. Who else? Opportunity to be vulnerable. Ah, see what I did to you? Giving you opportunities. (laughs) Who's got an answer? Throw something out. Friendships. Friendships, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. With yourself, okay. Is that what you said, with yourself? Yeah, thank you. Okay, so you get it. Ideally, you've come up with An answer to that question, and it makes it that much more real for you. Once you've identified something, and it's like, what are you going to do about it? Welcome to the practice. That's the practice. Wouldn't it be something that you use this practice, you and your mat, to build yourself into the version that could actually solve the problem that you have in your life? To work to yourself. friendships and so on and so forth wouldn't that be something that's a good use of time and that is an incredibly powerful practice that you could build yourself into the version that needs to be the one that solves the problems that you have in your life and there is always a damn problem so that's what i'm proposing that's the focus of this practice the inner seams of your legs to build the structure you need to get access to your core so you can stand upright and have the courage you need to move on. Mm -hmm. Seem fair to you? Mm -hmm. Let it be so. Good morning. It is that time for practice. I'm gonna share with you what I'm focused in on this morning. The focus is core. Lucky you, your core, way down low. And the reason for that, you can see it up on the board. We can hold undigested emotions, become detached, and ultimately shut down. And so that's the experience we can hold down into our core, down in our guts. The opposite of that, of course, is creating connection to this area of your body, where there's your values, your wisdom, where there's passion, enthusiasm, these kinds of things, and very different experiences, shutting down versus opening up. And we have that choice in front of us all of the time in every choice we make. Are we turning away or are we turning in? And this supports the bigger conversation around this practice is, which is listening and how you listen. And listening is fundamental. We know that it's fundamental in terms of where we end up, our destination. We can listen in a way that takes us away from the very things we say we want, or we can listen in a way that moves us closer to what we say we want. Listening is very powerful. What I've come to understand over the years that I've been in this realm, transformation happens in listening. I truly believe that. I believe that to be a truth, that if we're going to transform anything in our life, it'll happen in our, it'll happen in our listening, the way in which we listen. And that's a very interesting concept. So I'm going to discuss that this morning. And this, I'm attempting to tie a few things together today uh, over the last couple of days. I was speaking about hindrances a couple of days ago. Then I was talking about vulnerability, how those tie together. Your ability to choose where you're underdeveloped and naive in your life is a hindrance. The idea is to choose the opposite of that, which is the antidote. So you suffer less. That's the opportunity. That choice is an act of vulnerability. You moving into a place that you don't necessarily want to go. That is risky the chance of you failing is quite likely, but you go there anyways with the attempt to strengthen yourself. And that is the act of vulnerability. What supports vulnerability is listening. And the example I used the other day is the hindrance I have is feeling unsafe. And that's something I felt as long as I can remember, feeling unsafe with people specifically, other people. And the antidote I'm choosing is faith. And that's curious to me, faith and my relationship to faith. And what I'm noticing is I have to shift my listening, that faith becomes important. And as I'm trying to figure out what faith means to me, so I'm having conversations with myself, including other people's take on faith. And so it's in my listening, which is good. And that's where I'll start to define my relationship to faith. And at some point it will become this embodied experience. That's the idea. From a concept into the body that I can speak this concept into my body. And so my body can listen. And that's what listening is. It's a full body experience. That's the beauty of yoga. That you're tuning your body to listen. It's very difficult to listen only through these things your ears. Listening is way deeper than that, and you know that. It's how you feel, what you notice, the experience of someone or something. It's a full body experience, and that's the beauty of yoga. You're tuning your instrument to listen, ideally. So I'm going to walk you through two types of listening, automatic listening and intentional listening. I thought that'd be curious interesting. Talk about listening and see where it goes. Who do you think you're listening to when you're on your mat? More than anybody else. Sure the hell isn't me as the teacher. It's you consumed with your own listening. And so I'm very curious to see how you take on your practice knowing what you'll know very soon about these two types of listening. So automatic listening is focused on your own internal dialogue of opinions, beliefs, and judgments. It's self-focused and supported by your past. It's your belief system. All-consuming at times. All-consuming. When we get lodged into this, it's like, I don't care what you think. (laughs) This is what I think. And I'm right. I know this to be right. And that's the trickery of our belief systems at times. And so the commitment around this kind of listening is to get through it. And I want you to shape yourself into this. An example is, and I'm sure you've been here many times before, somebody's talking to you, you're not really listening to them. What you are saying is, why don't you shut up, get lost so I can continue on doing what I'm doing because what I'm doing is more important than you. Like sending this text, playing a video game, I don't know, trying to eat my sandwich. I don't wanna listen to you. You say the same thing every day or whatever, that's the example of automatic listening. You're pretending to listen, but you're not. You ever do that? You might be doing it right now. <laughs> and it's quite likely that you are. And so the commitment is to get through it. How do I get through this conversation? How do I, how do I be right in this conversation that this person has no value I wanna be right, be right about my stance here that it's important that I don't pay attention and I wanna look good, which is a very deep commitment for each of us. We wanna look good constantly. And so we pretend to listen, all the while attempting to look good through the conversation. Put enough attention in just to get through. And so the focus is judgment. You're judging the situation and that person and it sounds something like, you have no value to me at this moment in time. Shut up, get lost. Something like that. And as you judge, you get to reinforce your belief system. My belief about this person and this experience in this conversation is right. I have all the right not to listen and pay attention to this person. And my attempt, to, my attempt here and focus is to end this conversation as quickly as possible. So you stop bothering me. That's a stiff message to send. And think of all the ways in which you do that, and there's many. Perhaps you go quiet. Perhaps you start interrupting. Perhaps you start fidgeting. Perhaps you just walk away. Whatever the ways in which you do this practice, and you wanna know how you behave, because people notice. And so automatic listening leads to assumptions and misunderstandings. Another way of putting this is conflict. If you do do not listen properly, you become distracted and be hurt more than you need to be. That happens in our listening. We can create absolute chaos for ourselves through our listening and be hurt as a consequence of the way in which we listen. Towards ourselves, for sure. Others, absolutely. Your hurt will lead you to becoming vengeful wherever you can administer it. You can turn your vengefulness in on yourself and you've done that many times. You'll do that in the future, absolutely you will. And it's worth paying attention to how you harm yourself because you do in a vast array. vast array of practices that you have to harm yourself. One way is extracting yourself from relationship. That's self-harm. Maybe you don't exercise. Maybe you over-exercise. Maybe you under-eat, over-eat. Maybe you don't sleep, oversleep. All these ways that we can create harm within, which has a consequence in our relationships there's less of us available. The focus on hurting others only erodes trust and respect because we can get snappy. We can pull ourselves away, be distant, ignore, not pay attention to, judge, ridicule, become passive aggressive, all these ways in which we can harm other people. Once damaged, or lost altogether, it's very challenging to recover, if ever. That's why I find so interesting about trust and respect. Once it's damaged, the chances of it coming back are very limited. The relationship has been changed forever. And so if you like your relationships, best you pay attention. Because the chances of you messing them up is really likely. How do you know that? You've been doing that all your life which is a strange look, but it's a worthwhile look to notice how you are and how you behave in your relationships and the kind of chaos and hurt you can create in your relationships. And what I'm suggesting is your listening informs the way in which you behave and what you're listening to. And if you're leading with your belief system, you're in trouble. Then you could ask yourself, "Hmm, I wonder how often I'm leading with my belief system my opinions, my judgments, the things in which I think I know. And it'll startle you. That'll start to uncover the level of arrogance you have. And that's good for you to understand how arrogant you are at times and how difficult it is to be with you. And the good attempts people make to be with you Despite your arrogance and your insufficiencies and all these different things, it's a hell of an endeavor trying to be with you. How do you know that? You attempt to be with other people and you know how difficult that is. Extraordinarily difficult. And so this is one type of listening, which is a very common type of listening that can lead the way that can create some chaos along the way, and disruptions. Too many disruptions will collapse, and maybe never recover. Some people don't, I've seen that many times. People do not recover from their collapse, and it's unfortunate and sad, and I imagine you know people like that. The other kind of listening is intentional listening, which is a very different kind of listening, and it's an effort-based listening. So intentional listening is a commitment to hear and understand what the speaker is saying. It's like, why are you saying this? Why is that interesting to you? It's other focused, meaning you're focused on the other or the others is present based and supports your future. It supports your future. It's from this moment into the future. There's less past to mess up the situation and that's good. The commitment, hear and understand, you gotta be curious and attempt to advance the conversation versus ending a conversation, which is different. The focus, hear what's underneath, establish common ground and create possibility. So you're actually learning something as a consequence of your efforts. Maybe something you didn't know before, maybe something struck you that somebody said, Maybe you get to know them in a different way. Wouldn't that be something? And it doesn't matter how long you've known somebody. This kind of listening will surprise you consistently. I had no idea you had that experience. I had no idea that's how you think. So interesting. And so listening gives you access to hearing what's important to others. And with that, you're then able to tend to their needs. Welcome to relationship. Attempting to tend to our needs our needs, others' needs. And we can only do that through listening. Doing so supports social relations, relations, which promotes promising and stable relationships. That's what you want, for sure. Whether you say you do or not, you definitely want that, stable relationships. To be listened to is to be valued. To be valued is to be respected. To be respected is to be seen as someone of value. The gift that it is to give somebody listening is extraordinary. You could easily argue it is the greatest gift that you could give somebody is to listen to them. Because we're so bloody deprived of being listened to. If you haven't noticed you can think of a time when you weren't listened to and how much that bothered you and somebody wasn't paying attention to you fidgeting cutting you off trying to get out of the conversation and how you were left feeling in that moment devalued and it's an experience that we know very well it's also an experience we're tracking and looking to replicate which is bizarre in of itself And what's curious is it doesn't really cost you much. some time, some energy, those two things you have, not all the time, most of the time I'd say. So intentional listening affords you the best opportunity to cope and improve your position in the world. And ideally you want that greater coping mechanisms to improve your position in the world, which is you within you, you within your relationships that matter to you, you in your work family, community, so on and so forth. And these two are playing out consistently and constantly. You'll notice it in your practice. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to be so fascinating about your practice. Of what are you actually listening to and where does it take you? And you definitely want to know. For a long time, I had no listening. What I was listening to was myself. And the reason I was so involved in myself because I didn't feel safe. I could barely stand people. It was so interesting. Mm -hmm. And how much attention and effort I had to being elusive in front of people. The great magician. You see me, then you don't see me. I'm here, then I'm not there. And the attempt was never to see me fully. And how my listening shaped that, you're not safe, don't listen, get out of this conversation as quickly as you can, and how that dominated my experience. And it always led led me into despair, always, because there I was, just me, foolish me, (laughs) and how off-putting that was. Until I started to really feel into this level of despair, and it's like, there's got to be something better than this because I'm suffering, and it does not feel good, and I don't like it. And how I started to attempt to put myself in places I didn't want to be, which was with people, and attempting to shape my listening. And what I started to notice through intentional listening is that I could actually feel safe because I started to know people through listening. It's like, hi, you're pretty interesting. (laughs) And we have actually some common ground here. That's weird. Maybe you're not so much of a threat. Maybe I actually spend time with you and feel good about it and to feel stronger being with you. God, that is mind-blowing. And once I got that, then I could replicate it. It's like, okay, listening gives me access to everything I say I want. This other kind of listening, listening to my belief system that you're not safe, you should get out, the world's against you, takes me places I do not want to be. And we're all up against that in our own unique way. And if you could look at your life, that's the proposition here. You look at your life and how you listen. What you'll notice is where you're suffering, and you are somewhere, What's got you is your automatic listening. You're not really listening. You are to yourself. But a judgment has captured your listening. That's the consideration. And if you want to transform that experience where you're suffering, it's the shift in listening. Can you get curious? Can you look to start to hear and understand why somebody's saying what they're saying and why it's important to them? because it's important. That's why they're saying it. (laughs) Whether you agree with it or not, who cares? But to be able to create the experience where somebody feels heard is the art. And it is very difficult, but also deeply rewarding when you can pull it off. And you know when you pull it off. So I have a question for you. Mm. Who do you listen to the least in your life? The very thing you probably don't want to say out loud. <laughs> the admission is an act of vulnerability. Who do you least listen to in your life? Coworker, friend, family. Who is this person? My mom. mom. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, mom and co worker. Moms have a stiff ride, that is for sure. Oh my goodness. Who else? It's going to be somebody very close to you. Your husband? (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. After all those years. Okay, good. Anybody else? Okay. Hopefully you get it. And if you were to lead yourself into that relationship, what you'll notice is that there is a judgment. You have a judgment of your coworker, your mother, these kinds of things that has captured your listening. That's a very good thing for you to know, because the antidote is to get outside of that judgment, which is no easy experience, but is needed. Because if you don't, that relationship will disintegrate over a span of time. And that should concern you deeply. So this practice, core, you get to listen to yourself. So choose your listening. That's what I encourage you to do. Lead yourself into a sense of possibility, something new. That's what's in front of you.